video today. I don't blame you for wanting to video it because I wouldn't have wanted to be up here and crying on stage, man. You guys, that was powerful. I, uh, I'm excited to, to hear about your story and the things that God did through you in Nicaragua. And we're just blessed as a church to get an opportunity to be a part of what God's doing. We have a, uh, uh, a, a mission here at the church to go and make disciples. That's what God has called us to. And we're doing that consistently by sending people out. We want to do that. Our mission is to reach the unchurched by releasing people. We release you to go and to make disciples, to release people who love Jesus passionately and others irresistibly. And that's a perfect example of what you guys did as we got to watch the video is that you just love people with an irresistible passion. So we thank you for that. And thank you for everybody who got to go on that trip. And uh, we're just excited to have a chance this morning to worship together. If you are a guest of ours this morning, we want to welcome you to worship with us. And we're so thankful that you've chosen to be here with us today. In the chairs right around you, there is a connection card. And uh, I'd just like to ask you if you would at some point uh, during the sermon today, if you want to just fill that out. And at the end of the service, we love to make personal connections with people. So uh, you can do a couple of things with that connection card. You can either drop it in the box on the wall right over here on your way out. Or when you exit these doors and take a left on your way out, I'll be over there at the uh, guest information table. And we have a gift we'd like to give to you today just to say thanks for being our guest and being in worship with us. But uh, let's start our sermon off this morning. We love to celebrate the Word of God and, and cheer and clap for the Word of God. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Galatians chapter 5. And uh, we can just get excited this morning that we have a God who loves us and that we have uh, His Word to show us how to live under His authority. And so here's what Paul says as we're continuing in our series on the book of Galatians called Counterfeit Gospels because we know there are a lot of things in our world that sound kind of like Jesus, but they miss the mark when it comes to the full gospel. And so we want to make sure we know what the gospel is. And so Paul's been writing a letter to the book uh, to the people of Galatia uh, that helps them understand what's false about some things they've been learning uh, and what's true as far as the gospel of Christ goes. And so today we pick up in chapter 5, and here's what Paul says as he continues his, his letter. He says, It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then, and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Mark my words, I, Paul, tell you that if you let yourselves be circumcised, Christ will be of no value to you at all. Again, I declare to you that every man who lets himself be circumcised, that he is obligated to obey the whole law. You who are trying to be justified by the law have been alienated from Christ. You have fallen away from grace. For through the Spirit we eagerly await by faith the righteousness for which we hope. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. So as we've been talking about this, you might go, what's the big deal with circumcision in this little section of the book that we're reading? Uh, that's basically an outward sign or uh, a physical sign of something that they were doing to put themselves under the obedience to the law, to say that we're not embracing that salvation is only by grace through faith, but also there's this capacity that we have to have to embrace the entire law, to keep the Mosaic law, to follow the Jewish traditions. And so what Paul has been telling us is, in this letter that he has been saying to the Galatians, you guys have started becoming foolish in the way that you're thinking about life. You came into this faith in Christ. When, when Paul was there with them, he taught them that salvation is by believing that God is a gracious God that sent His Son to this world. That Jesus lived a perfect life that He never did anything wrong. And at the end of His life, He was crucified. He was murdered. He was killed on our behalf. And yet He rose back from the grave. And the way that we come into a faith relationship with Jesus Christ or into a relationship with Christ is through faith. 
And so when we think about this faith that we have, Paul says it's not about earning your way into God's presence. It's not about trying to be obedient to a, a set of moral restrictions about the law of Moses. You're not gonna, you're gonna follow some of those things because it's the right thing to do. God gave us the law. He gave us guardrails for our life to say this is how you best live in relationship with me. But it's how you live in relationship. It's not how you come into relationship. We come into relationship with Jesus Christ by God's grace and through faith alone. Nothing else. There's nothing on top of that. And so what Paul's been helping the people see is that they don't have to embrace Jewish practices. They don't have to embrace this false gospel uh, in order to be in Christ. Now, I don't know about you, if you've ever felt like you've had something that was really just heavy on you, almost like an oppressive burden um, that almost feels like being imprisoned or not. But Paul's talking about this freedom that we have in Christ. And the opposite of freedom is bondage or slavery. And so I've talked to a lot of people over the years that there's all kinds of different things that they will equate to. They're not necessarily slaves or in bondage or imprisoned, but there are things that life just kind of puts on us that we go, man, that just feels a lot like bondage or slavery. Uh, And so a couple of those things that I've consistently heard people identify with this idea of being in bondage to something, uh, one is debt. That people go, man, when you're in just great amounts of debt, there's a tendency to feel like you're just under an oppressive weight. I'm going, I I don't know what to do with this. I can't get out of this. I'm just completely uh, wrapped under the pressure of debt. And so you're a slave to your financial position. Another one is uh, people who who just really struggle with uh, either excessive weight or with problems with health. And just go, man, because of my health, I just feel like I can't do anything. Or or because I have this problem with weight, I'm literally not able to do the things that I would like to do. And so you see things and you go, man, some, of, some people are just slaves to, to a physical condition. But you go, I'm, I feel like I'm in bondage to this and I would love to do certain things, but I just can't because of this. Another thing that you struggle with and people have consistently told me about is just, this is the big one. This is the problem with illegal activity, right? This is when you are literally in jail, under bondage. You are trapped. You can't go anywhere. And I've met uh, in, in jail cells with men and teenagers alike. I did student ministry for 15 years. And there was always that phone call that came. It was like, uh, you probably need to come up here now because <laughs> you got a kid from your youth group. And so it was like, oh, great, here we go, driving to the jail. And so you sit across the glass from this kid and you just talk and you go, you realize what freedom is when you are literally held captive by something. And so when we think about this, they are a slave to their, um, their, uh, their own illegal actions. And so if you've ever been under the weight of those types of things or anything else that you would say, this just feels like a giant weight to me. It just feels like something that's imprisoning me. It's, I'm bondaged to it. Uh, well, when you think about coming into faith in Christ, and when you get out from underneath that stuff, you never want to go back to it again, right? Like nobody says, man, I got out of jail and I can't wait to go back. That's not a thought in your mind. Uh, nobody says, man, I, I paid off all of my debt, now I'm going to go and rack up $50,000 more in debt. Nobody does that. Once you get out of that, you want to stay free from it. And so what we're going to see Paul talk about in this section of the letter is what it looks like to escape from a bondage and feel a lightness that exists in your freedom in Christ. Because here's what we experience as, as Christ followers. When you come into faith in Christ and Jesus says, I've completely set you free from sin, then you can just take a deep breath and just go, oh my gosh, I feel so good not to be encumbered by my sin any longer. That God's made me free. That I'm not trapped. That I don't have to worry about my future because it's secure in Christ today, tomorrow, and forever. 
And so you see these things that go on in our life. And so when Paul writes this letter, he wants us to know that salvation through faith in Jesus allows us to live in a freedom that God intends for us. That God intends for you to live in freedom. And so he says this in verse 1. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. So stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. So it's for freedom that Christ has set us free. What does that mean? What does it mean that it's for freedom that Christ has set us free? Well, here's what he's talking about. And if you're taking notes, if you like to follow along, you can do that this morning. Um, and so here's just a few things you can write down on the back side of your bulletin. The law brought only bondage and impossible expectations. That's what the law did. The law showed us how bad we were. The law shows us that we're rule breakers, that we're so far set apart from God that we can't possibly get to, a, to Him on our own. And the law constantly points at us and condemns. And so it's an impossible expectation that we would keep the law. The law brought bondage, but the grace of Jesus offers us freedom. That what Jesus came to do was give us freedom. What Freedom from what? Freedom from trying to earn. Freedom from striving. Freedom from consistently worrying about the future. And Paul's going to write and say, look, it's for freedom that Christ has set us free. You don't have to strive to get to God. We have so many systems in our world. In fact, every religious system in our world is all about earning to get to their God. If you do this, God will be pleased. If you do this, you will make it to whatever heaven exists for you. If you do this, you'll find your way. And it's all about earning. It's all about what can you do to get to God. Grace is all about what God has done to come to us. And so when you think about this process of coming into a faith relationship with Jesus, Jesus gave us freedom to say, stop striving. Just enjoy the grace that I give to you. Stop trying to earn your way to me and know that I've come to you. Just enjoy being with me. You're free. You don't have to worry about your future anymore. It's secure. It's taken care of. And so Paul says you live in that kind of freedom. But then in the second part of verse 1, he says, Stand firm then, and don't let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. See, Paul's admonishing the Galatian people, and he's admonishing us as we read this, that when we see a counterfeit gospel, he says, Stand firm in the knowledge of what you know to be true, that salvation is by God's grace through your faith, not anything else. It's not by works so that anybody can boast. It's not by earning. It's not by striving. It's not by worrying. It's not by being good enough. He says it's just, you just stand firm in Christ. So when we see something that doesn't match up with the full gospel, we stand firm and don't let ourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. But here's the truth. Sin has such a powerful pull, and we have such a need to earn that a lot of times, even after we come into faith in Christ, we run right back to those things that Paul would say, that was what kept you in slavery and in bondage, the law. Because I know for me, I have, I'm, I'm a people pleaser, okay? And so I have to feel like I earn people's value, earn your respect, that I'm going to do anything I can to try to make you smile, to try to make you happy. And let me just tell you, as a pastor, that's a really difficult thing to stand up here on Sunday morning and be like, oh my gosh, I hope everybody likes the sermon today. Like, it's just a difficult thing sometimes. And I have to free myself from that and go, this is not about are other people judging me and going, oh, he did a really good job today. Or, you know, we went kind of five minutes too long. We're probably not coming back next week. It doesn't matter. It's all about what is God doing in the hearts and lives of people. And I'm just a conduit of his spirit working into the hearts and lives of people. 
And yet for all of us, there's such a pull to earn that it's a consistent battle for me. To go, I'm under freedom in Christ, but I certainly like to make people like me. And I've got to earn God's favor. I've got to do a better job this week than I did last week. And I don't know how that translates to you or equates to you, but there's always that earning mentality in our hearts and in our minds because we're a people who lived in bondage to sin for so long before Christ set us free that we have the mentality that I have to try harder to get to God. I have to try harder to earn my way to heaven. And so we see that Paul's saying, listen, you stand firm so you're not, again, burdened by those things. You can't make God love you. He already loves you. So don't let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Now, a yoke is not something we're real familiar with in our culture. But in, uh, in, in this time, and if you grew up on a farm or anything like that, a yoke would be something that you would hook to two oxen or to two horses to latch them together, to hook them together in order to get the most work out of them that you could, right? And so a yoke would be something that you would bond them to, and then they would pull together. They would work together. Their, uh, their equated mass and their equated strength would be able to do more than one could do on its own. And so a yoke would be put on top of these things, and they're heavy. And so when you get this yoke and you get them working and pulling in the same direction, but then the interesting thing to me about the yoke, and why I like that Paul talks about it in this sense, is that the yoke was something that only the farmer could remove at the end of the day. And so when you think about these oxen or these horses, he says when their work is done, and they've done everything they can, the farmer's the one that goes, you know what, I'm going to set you free from that. You can't break yourself out of it, you can't strive your way out of it, but I can take it off of you. And it's similar to what happens with us when we come into a relationship with Jesus. The things that we've tried to do over and over and over again to earn our way to God, to make our path to God, to get His approval and His blessing because of how good we are, how great we do things. He goes, no, 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 let me take that off of you. Let's set that yoke aside. Don't be burdened by that yoke of earning and striving and worrying. Let me take that from you and I'm going to give you freedom. Now you're not attached to something else. You're free to go do what you want. You're free to run in my joy. You're free to, to go in my peace. And so he sets us free. And not, no longer do we take on that yoke and that burden again. So to help us understand the danger of this yoke to sin, Paul lists the consequences for the Galatian people. And if you go back to chapter 5, look at verses 2 through 4. He's going to make this uh, equation of saying the yoke to sin has consequences. He says this, Mark my words. I, Paul, tell you that if you let yourselves be circumcised, Christ will be of no value to you at all. Again, I declare to every man who lets himself be circumcised that he is obligated to obey the whole law. You who are trying to be justified by the law have been alienated from Christ. You have fallen away from grace. Now, here's what he says, the two things, and again, if you're taking notes on your outline, just write these things in. One is, one of the consequences, if you try to obey the law, is you're alienated from Christ. And the second is you fall away from grace. Now, listen, I want you to make sure you hear, hear this and understand this. This doesn't mean that if you're in Christ, that you can potentially lose your salvation. Listen to what he says again. I tell you that if any man lets himself be circumcised, he's obligated to obey the whole law. You who are trying to be justified by the law have been alienated from Christ, you've fallen away from grace. To be justified, when we come into a relationship with Christ through faith, He justifies us. Jesus is the only one who makes us right with His Father. He justifies us before God. And so Paul's saying, if you try to get there through the law, 
If you're trying to justify yourself through the law, look, I kept the Ten Commandments. I did everything that was in the Mosaic Covenant. I practiced all of the, uh, uh, the rituals and the sacrifices. Uh, I was good to my neighbor. You know, all these things. And I've, I've earned my way to justification. Paul says you can't justify yourself before God by these things. What you'll do is you'll fall away from grace. What does that mean? He says everything that you're going to try to get from God by justifying yourself through the law, when He tries to offer it to you with grace, you're going to slap it away and say, no, I'll keep working harder. I'll keep doing this more. I'll do better. I promise next time I'll get it right. Because He's holding out grace to you and saying, you don't have to strive. You don't have to work. You don't have to worry. Here's grace. And yet you've fallen away from that. You've fallen away of a salvation that's based on grace and you've embraced a salvation that's all about how much you work to get there. And so Paul says you've got to be careful about a theology and about a gospel that says that you're going to justify yourself through the law. And so what he's telling us, and he'll say it again and again, in Romans chapter 3, Paul tells us this, Romans three twenty and 22. Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of our sin. But now apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known, to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. So over and over again, Paul tells us that being right with God doesn't come through works of obedience to the law. It comes by God's grace and our faith in Him. And so here's the next thing if you like to take notes. Jesus isn't interested in the external things you do. Jesus is looking at your heart. Jesus isn't interested in the external things that you do. He's looking at your heart. He's going, I want to see what's going on inside of you. This is the principle going back in the Old Testament to the story of David, who when God wanted to have a new king on the throne, and Samuel was told, go see Jesse and his sons, and I'm going to show you who's going to be king. And the first son of Jesse that walks up in front of Samuel, Samuel goes, oh, this guy's got to be the one. He's big and he's strong and he's handsome and he's got to be it. And God goes, no, that's not the one. And the second son, no, that's not the one. The third son, no, that's not the one. And on and on and on. And they finally get to the end of the line and go, God didn't tell me any of these boys are the, are the king. Do you, Jesse, do you have any more kids? Well, I have one. He's a little runt shepherd boy, and he's out in the field. He's the youngest, and he's kind of weird. And so we leave him. When, all, when everybody else gets invited, he gets to stay out in the field, right? And so, um, so Samuel goes, well, bring him here. And so they march David in, and God immediately says, that's the one. He, here's what you need to know, Samuel. I don't look at the outward appearance of a man. I look at their heart. And David has a heart that will follow in obedience to me. God's not interested in if you're good enough, if you work hard enough, if you strive to keep the law, if you do everything that's commanded. He says, I'm, I'm not worried about those things. What's better, mercy or sacrifice? Mercy. Grace is better. What's involved in the heart is better than the outward appearances, than the outward afflictions. And so Paul goes on to say this in chapter 5, verse 6, Galatians 5, 6. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. That's the only thing that counts. Faith expressing itself through love. He's going to say something similar in Galatians six fifteen. Neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything. What counts is the new creation. What counts is what God is doing in your heart. So let God work in you. Stop working for yourself. 
Stop trying to earn your way to God and just accept His grace. It's a free gift that He offers to you to say, if you want to have a relationship with me, if you want to be set free from your sins, just let me offer that gift to you. I've already paid for your sins by sending my son Jesus to die on the cross for you. The wrath that you deserve and that I deserve because of our sins, God poured out on Jesus when he hung on the cross. You no longer have to suffer the wrath of God. You no longer have to fear that God's going to punish you. If you'll step into a faith relationship with Jesus and say, I'm, I'm asking you to forgive me of my sins. I'm thanking you for taking my place on the cross. And I will surrender my life to you. And I'll live under your grace and by faith in you. That's what God's looking for. That's what God's after. God is remaking us into people of faith who express their passion for Him in love. And what God is most concerned about is who we are becoming. And so Paul goes on in verse 7. He's talking to the Galatian people and he says this. You, it's kind of like, I, I told you what the truth was and you started out well, but somewhere along the way you got sidetracked. And so he actually, and he's been talking about circumcision this whole time, and he says this. He says, you were running a good race. Who cut in on you to keep you from obeying the truth? And I just love that because I think this is like Paul's one joke in the Bible. So because you all missed it, because nobody laughed, I'm going to explain it again, right? We're talking about circumcision. We all know what's going on here, right? And so we've got a problem. And yet he goes, hey, you guys started off well and somebody cut in on you. Ha, 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 get it? Did everybody catch it that time? Okay, somebody cut in on you guys and now you're going off in the wrong direction. And I just go, Paul, that's brilliant, man. You are ready for stand-up comedy on the main stage. Okay, and so he goes, look, you were running a good race. Somebody cut in on you to keep you from obeying the truth. And I think if you really looked at that and went, you know what the truth is, is that Paul would say to us, if you're going to get cut on, you're going to be cut off from Christ. And if you're going to allow yourself to embrace a doctrine that says I have to work and earn and strive to go farther in my relationship with Christ, he's going to say that's going to eliminate you having a relationship with Christ. Because of those things, you're alienated from Christ. Because of these things, you fall away from grace. It doesn't get you to the goal you desire. And so we need to know what it looks like to have this freedom in Christ and to live in it. So here's the next question that we need to ask. What should we do with our freedom in Christ? How should I use that freedom? When you come into a relationship with Jesus, you're given freedom through faith. Immeasurable freedom, right? Like there are no limitations to what you can do in your freedom in Christ. But freedom can be abused when it's misunderstood. And we see this playing out all around our world and our country today. We know that people misunderstand freedom when they think they can believe and behave any way they want to. And what happens is we become followers of Christ and in some sense we start to feel like, well, I can just do whatever I want. And there's no repercussions. The same thought is prevalent in our culture today. We live in a society and in a culture that's free. Thank God for men and women who laid down their lives on battlefields across this world, who served our armed forces, who do everything they could to give us liberty and freedom. Thank God for them as we celebrate Memorial Day weekend. But the truth is, is that people, when they see that kind of freedom, we have the tendency because of our sinfulness to say, you know what, because of freedom, I can do whatever I want. Freedom means no limitations, no rules, no boundaries. I can believe and behave any way I want. And that's simply not true. We still are governed by civil laws. 
we still have moral law. We still have a God who implemented life and truth that we have to live under His authority. And some of the things that we see in our world today that we go, you know what, some of these things play out on the really simple level, like, you know what, I want your stuff, so I'll just take it because I want it to be my stuff, and I can do whatever I want because it's a free country. And you go, well, you can try that until, you know, you get caught, and then we'll see how free you really are to just take whatever you want from other people. We also have the mentality today that uh, we're free to murder unborn children because our government says that it's okay to do so. And yet we look at our society and go, you know what, there are repercussions and consequences for that that we will pay for. We're in a battle right now in a crazy fight. Whoever saw something like this coming where people are feeling like they're free to just choose and say day-to-day whatever gender or identity they want to express themselves as. We go, you can't just choose that. God assigns that. He, he is the author of life. He is the one that determines truth. He is the one that says you're male or you're female. You don't get to pick the bathroom. I'm sorry. And it's just one of those things that you go, it doesn't matter where you fall on this. Just because there's freedom doesn't mean there is absolute freedom. There are still things that we put ourselves under the authority of God and of government. And even when government says things are okay, if it goes against the authority of God, we still must say it's not okay. And so we stand on God's truth because there are consequences to the things that we do on many different levels because of the abuse of freedom. The abuse of freedom leads to worse and worse corruption. And so what we have to do as believers in Christ is understand how to live in the freedom that God offers us. Not our country freedom, but in our spiritual freedom. There's a difference. So listen to what Paul says. Galatians chapter 5, verse 13. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. But do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. And so Paul tells us, don't use your freedom to gratify your sinful heart. See, here's where we go off the rails as believers in Christ with the freedom that God offers us. We look at grace and freedom in Christ as a get-out-of-jail-free card. I can do whatever I want because all I have to do is turn around and say, God, I'm sorry, and He'll forgive me because I have grace. And God is a gracious God and a merciful God and a forgiving God. Therefore, I can do whatever I want and God will forgive me. Grace is a get-out-of-jail-free card. You might feel that way, but that doesn't stand true according to Scripture. And so we have to put ourselves in a position where we say, I'm not free to do whatever I want. In fact, Paul says, don't use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Don't allow freedom in Christ to give you an excuse to elevate your sinful desires and say, well, it's okay if I do this because God's given me freedom. I can do whatever I want. No, you can't. In fact, freedom in Christ tells us to stop doing things that are evil and wicked and go against God. And so here's what Paul writes in other books. Romans chapter 6, verse 1. What then shall we say? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? He's writing to the Roman people who have apparently espoused this idea to go, you know what, Paul? The worse we are, the more God has an opportunity to show how great He is by giving us more grace. So let's just be bad and God will make us good again. And it'll show how vastly superior the grace of God is as opposed to our wicked little sinfulness over here. And Paul goes, no, no, no. What shall we say? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? 
Paul goes, listen, what you need to understand is that when you come into a faith relationship with Jesus Christ, you stop the sinful lifestyle. You stop elevating this idea that I can do whatever I want and live however I want. Because in Christ, He gives us the ability to say no to sinfulness. To stop sinning and living in consistent sin, perpetual sin. So this is what Paul says in Titus chapter 2, verses 11 through 14. For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. So he's saying it's not about when we get to heaven we'll be good. He's saying in this present age we're able to say no to all of those things. While we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing, of our, uh, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave Himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for Himself a people that are His very own, eager to do what is good. God frees us to escape evil, not to give an excuse to practice it. That's what God does for us. He says, you have a way to escape evil. Our freedom in Christ is for the purpose of serving one another in love. That's what Paul had said earlier on in the passage. If you go back and look at it again. Don't use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. So God's love frees me from being self-absorbed to be able to go out and share in compassion with other people. That's why we see that beautiful picture of our mission team who went to Nicaragua. And we look at that and hear stories and we go, because they went and they served humbly and loved. It wasn't about them and what they were going to get out of it. I'm sure they got great things out of it. But it was primarily about what they gave on behalf of Christ to people who they just went and said, I want to just serve you in love with humility. I'm going to leave behind some things that are important to me in order to come and serve you. And so in humility, I'm going to give. So how do we do that? And here's how we're going to start closing things up this morning. How do we live in Christ in freedom? Well, he tells us, live under the leadership of God's Holy Spirit. That has to be our, our driving factor, that we live under the leadership of God's Holy Spirit. Galatians chapter 5, verses 16 through 18. Paul says to the Galatians, So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what's contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They're in conflict with each other, so that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you're led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. And so this is where we get the little cartoon images of a demon on one shoulder and an angel on the other, right? And you're kind of going, one of them's whispering in your ear, go ahead and do the sinful thing. And the other one's going, God wouldn't like that. Don't do that. Follow Christ. Love God. Be, live in obedience to the Holy Spirit. And you're going, okay, there's this war that's going on. There's a conflict. I have this sinful desire to do things that, uh, that make me feel good or that make me happy or that express my desires. And there is a part of us that's naturally drawn and says, yeah, go for it. Run. Chase those things. Do those things. And then Paul says, but there's also a spirit that's telling you that's not what honors and pleases God. That gratifies you. It doesn't honor God. So here's what I want you to do. Live in step with me. Walk with me. Hold my hand and follow where you see me going and you'll get where God desires for you to be. So Paul says, you walk in step with the Spirit. Uh, it was fun watching my kids this winter in the snow when we had big piles of snow because when I would walk through the snow and make giant footsteps, the next thing I saw was my little five or my little six and eight year old following in the same way. And it was like, here's daddy's footstep, here's daddy's footstep, here's daddy's footstep. And now all of a sudden, they're able to get where they need to go even though it's a difficult path because they're walking in step with me as their dad. The same thing is true in our spiritual life as believers in Christ with the Holy Spirit. He says, I'm going to walk and follow after Jesus. 
you stay connected to me and you'll eventually get to Jesus. You following me. And so Paul's going to tell us, becoming a new creation like Galatians six fifteen describes, it's a process. And part of that process is learning to recognize where the Spirit of God is moving and how you obediently follow Him. And so we put ourselves under His authority. But our two natures are in conflict, our spirit nature and our sin nature. And the results of the one that we choose to follow, one is going to take us away from Jesus, the other is going to draw us close to Jesus. And so Paul's consistently looking at us and saying, you've got to know what direction you're going. So he gives us a litmus test to help us finish this up. In Galatians chapter 5, verses 19 through 21, he says there's some things that are the acts of the sinful nature. If you are going to look at your life and just say, do I look more like Christ or more like sin? Here's some things he lists. He goes, the acts of the flesh, they're obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. Uh, by the way, one of those things that's in there is a little confusing in our culture. The witchcraft thing, that's not like casting spells on people. In Paul's culture and what he's talking about, the, the Greek word there is pharmakion. pharmakion uh, the, it's the use of drugs or hallucinogenics. And what they often did in that time period was they associated and equated the use of drugs and hallucinogens with sorcery because people were always tripping out and they saw weird things and did weird things and so they went, that's witchcraft, right? And so that's what we translate it, but that's a different translation. So uh, just thought I'd throw that out there. But when you see this list, you go, okay, these are all the things that he says, if you're going to chase after your own natural desires, here's what your spirit naturally will produce. Uh Eugene Peterson in the message wrote it this way, and I love how he says this. I'm going to just read it quickly to you. He says, It's obvious what kind of life develops out of trying to get your own way all the time. Repetitive, loveless, cheap sex, a stinking accumulation of mental and emotional garbage, frenzied and joyless grabs for happiness, trinket gods, magic show religion, paranoid loneliness, cutthroat competition, all-consuming yet never satisfied once, a brutal temper, an impotence to love or even to be loved, divided homes and divided lives small-minded and lopsided pursuits, the vicious habit of depersonalizing everyone into a rival, uncontrolled and uncontrollable addictions, ugly parodies of community. I could go on and on and on. This isn't your first time I've warned you, you know. If you use your freedom this way, you will not inherit God's kingdom. And so Paul goes, this is what it looks like if you just chase your desires. You're going to pursue all these things. But he's going to say, if you choose to follow in step with the Spirit, God's going to birth some different things in you. And so here's what Paul says the fruit of the Spirit looks like. Galatians 5, 22 and 23. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, it's joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against these things there is no law. And so Paul says, if you will learn what it looks like to follow in obedience with the Spirit, He's going to produce in you fruit for your life. Fruit that looks like love and joy and peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And you measure those two things. In this room this morning, you can measure those two lists. And you can look for yourself and say, which one of those most identifies my life? Which way does the scale tip and balance? Am I more often following in my sinful nature? Or would I be able to say that I'm following in the heart of my God 
and obedient to His Holy Spirit. Do I see love in my life, joy in my life, fruit in my life, faith in my life, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control? Are those qualities that I see? Or do I see rage and ambition and jealousy and hatred and slander? Which one of those things do I see? And so last story, I had a student in one of my youth groups a few years ago, senior in high school, great kid, was a leader in our youth group. If you had asked anybody, he would have said, they would have said he's a Christian. He is a stand-up guy, unbelievable, great follower of Jesus. And we were walking through this passage one week together with our youth group, and at the end of it, he walked up to me and he said, Joel, man, if I have to be honest, I don't see much of, at all of the fruit of the Spirit in my life. When I evaluate my life, I constantly have hatred in my life. I hide it, but I hate people. And I have bitterness in my life. And I have, I have all these things that look like that first list. The sinful nature is so strong in me, I don't think I'm walking with the Holy Spirit. And I had to have this moment where I sat down with this kid in a chair right in front of me and went, whoa, whoa, whoa let's, just, let's just take a step back for just a minute. Because it sounds like you're telling me you don't think you're a Christian. He's like, no, I don't think I'm a Christian. If I'm going to put my life on these two things, then I don't know that I can say I'm following the Spirit of God. I think I'm living in a carnal, sinful nature. Man, here's the deal. I just don't want you to get to a point where you're feeling like, uh, you know, you feel guilty about some things, and so all of a sudden there's this guilt that's wrestling in you, so you're saying you're not a Christian, you really are, but you're just kind of struggling with some things. And he goes, no, 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 I don't think it's that at all. I don't think I'm a follower of Jesus. I think I've been playing a game. And so I had to go, man... You need to understand what you're really saying is that you're going to tell people that everybody who thinks you're a follower of Jesus, you're going to stand up publicly and say to them, guys, I've been lying to myself and to you this whole time. He goes, that's, I, that's fine. I just want to get in line with God's Spirit. I said, okay. And so we just prayed together. And that night he invited Christ into his life. And he said, I'm done with this sinful way of living. And from now on, I want to put the Spirit of God right in front of me, and I want to follow in step with the Spirit. So God, would you start to produce in me, take these wicked, evil things away, and start to produce in me love and joy and peace and patience? And let me just tell you something. Even though he was a great kid and I loved him, there was such a change in him after that that there was no way to deny. He had really given his heart and life to Christ that day because everything about him changed. And maybe you're at that same place this morning where you've been playing that game of religion your whole life. You've come to church and you've done all the right things and you've worked hard to be good and you've asked God to bless you in different things and you've strived and strived and strived and you've put on this mask of spiritual obedience. But the truth is, is that you're not walking in step with the Spirit of God because you've never genuinely given your life to Christ. And so I would just offer the invitation to you this morning as we finish and we, as we close. To just say, if today is the day that you would say, if I were to balance my life on those scales and look at things, I would say I lean way more heavily toward this sinful lifestyle than I do toward following in obedience to Christ. Today can be the day that God changes your life. Today can be the day that you'll say, I don't care what anybody else thinks. I'm willing to stand up publicly and say, I'm going to give my life to Jesus. Everybody thinks I already am, but that's not. this is who I am. This is not. I want to be in line with the Spirit of God. So today, you can give your life to Christ. What does that look like? It's not us playing another song and walking down the front and shaking my hand and saying a prayer. It's simply you in this moment just saying, God, forgive me of my sins. 
I'm walking completely away from you. I'm striving for things that can't earn my salvation. And I need your forgiveness. I accept by faith that Jesus died on the cross for my sins and I want that life in me. So give me your Holy Spirit and help me to walk in step with you. And that can be a a decision that you make in this moment or in another. But if you feel like the Spirit of God is drawing you to to Himself today, I would ask you not to leave this place without talking to me or without talking to one of our leaders, our elders. We would love to talk with you and just say, this is what it looks like to have a relationship with Christ. When you leave this room, to the left is a table. We're going to be standing there, and you can come and just grab us by the hand and just say, hey, I'd love to talk for a minute. That'll be all it takes. We'll go somewhere private, and we'd love to talk to you because we want you to know that you're walking in faith with Jesus. In the same way that we saw Ben and Mary Grace share their testimony on the video a little while ago, they're going to be baptized today at 2 o'clock. We'd love for you to come and be a part of that celebration. There's uh, directions to the castle's home right outside the doors. You can get that on your way. We've got other families. The Soltises are going to be baptized as well. Uh, Norma, I believe, is going to be baptized today as well. And uh, So we've got several people in our church that are going to be experiencing this, this public celebration of life change. And we want you to be a part. We want you to know Christ, love Christ, and follow after Him. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I love you. And God, it's such a joy to know you and to be known by you, to be able to walk into this relationship with you by your grace and through faith in Jesus. Thank you for the promise, God, that we don't have to strive and earn and work to get to you, that you saw us in our need, you saw us in our brokenness, and you came to us. And you offered salvation to us freely. And it's for freedom that you set us free. So help us to take off the baggage, the, the boundaries. Help us to take off those things that weigh us down, the bonds. And just live in your freedom to know you've forgiven us, to know we can have a relationship with you, to know that we can walk in step with your Spirit and that you are going to produce in us the characteristics of Christ so that we look more like Jesus every single day. We love you. And ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.